I'm advertising these meetings as how to deal with the devil. And if you know me and you hang out with me at all, you don't hear me talk about the devil hardly at all. I don't even mention him hardly a bit. I just, I don't think of him. Uh, my big struggle is my flesh. And so I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with that guy and uh, my old man. And, uh, but the devil's a reality. I remember um, before I was a Christian, I was writing a, a story uh, for a young Canadian author's contest. And as I was writing the story, I had different tools beside my typewriter um, uh, to help me to write because my grammar was so bad. But I had an Oxford dictionary. And I just happened to be thumbing through it looking for something. And I came across the fact it says the, the devil. And I thought, the devil's in the Oxford dictionary? And I, and I looked it up in Oxford treated him as if he's a real being. And so I kept thumbing, I came to hell. And it treated hell as if it was real. That surprised me. I mean, I started thumbing, and I looked up everything, all the spiritual stuff that I had heard about kind of as you go through life, but it was a shock to find the dictionary treating these as real beings and uh, real entities. And so... Uh, the first meeting I ever went to, before I went to a conference, and at the end of that conference, in a hotel on a Saturday morning, demons started taking over people. And I didn't, I'd never seen that before. I didn't know anything about that, really, other than I'd started reading the, the New Testament. And I saw that Jesus dealt with the devil as if he was real, and dealt with it, talked about him as if he was real, and approached that whole thing. And Jesus would just tell the demons to leave, and they would leave. Somehow I knew something. I don't know how I knew, but there was a man that seemed like he had unseen hands around his throat, and he was being strangled, and he was gargling or gurgling, and, and, and he couldn't breathe. And, and he's like from me to the chair away and out. And other people started saying the same thing, and finally after... Three or four minutes, the man collapsed to the ground, got up, looked kind of embarrassed and didn't know quite what all was happening. And no sooner had that happened when the same kind of thing started happening on the other side of the room. That was my first meeting, the first time I'd ever gone to anything at all. And, and, and I, was, uh, I was made aware as I started reading the four Gospels that this dealing with the devil is a real thing. Then one day, my brother-in-law called me, and he had gotten born again around the same time I had, except he lived in an entirely different city. He lived, oh, probably an hour or more from where I lived. And he called me, and he said, um, he said, I've gotten a prophecy. Someone had prophesied over him. And I said, well, that's amazing. That's wonderful. He said, yeah, we recorded it. Back then, you'd have these big tape recorders, and and he said, I recorded it. And I said, that's, that's amazing. I'd love to hear it sometime. He said, he talked about you. And I was shocked to hear that there was some guy prophesying over my brother-in-law and mentioned me. And I said, what did he say? He says, you got to come and hear it. And, uh, in a, and so I got in the car and I drove the hour plus to, to hear what the Lord would say about me. And my mind's going like, what would he say? What would the Lord say about me? And my, my nickname is Penn. 
I, I was born Leonard Harold Hart, and so I thought, would he use my nickname? Would he call me Leonard? Like, I don't like Leonard. I don't, I don't want to be called by it. Well, what would he, what would he say? Uh, how would he call me? And what would he say about me? And I remember, I remember just my mind going, you know, was it good? Was it bad? You know, I, I, you struggle with condemnation. And, and uh, so I got there, and we got huddled around that tape recorder, and he began to play it. And he said, I've been teaching Penn about how to deal with the devil. And, and he had. And I've been reading about it. And I had been uh, casting out demons behind the grocery store. And people would, you know, I was trying my best to learn. He said, I've been, I've been teaching Penn about how to deal with the devil. And I'm teaching you. And you're going to work together on, on, on this whole area of how to deal with the devil. But what a shock to find out I had been saying, Lord, teach me how to deal with the devil. I knew it was a reality. I knew somebody had to. And I, I, wasn't, I wasn't eager to, to have experiences as much as I wanted to be biblical. I wanted to, I wanted to be like Jesus. And so I had been praying for experiences, and I had been stepping out. And, and when I saw um, some of the young disciples that had come into my life were really bound up with all kinds of stuff. One had been a male prostitute had all kinds of issues, uh, and um, I, just wanted to, I just wanted to see him set free. So I was learning, but to hear the Lord say, I've been teaching him, that was, that was such a shock. So all what I'm teaching you and what we're going to go after for these next few weeks all comes out of those, those experiences. I think the best place to begin is in John. So why don't we go to John chapter 14? One of the reasons I don't, talk a lot about the devil is I just don't want to give him any more attention or glory uh, than necessary. And so, um, yeah, it's a fact of life. John chapter 14. And this is, this is going to be my approach on this here tonight. Let's start in verse 12. It's Jesus speaking. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. The works I do, he will do also. Just in your own heart, why don't you say, I'm supposed to do what Jesus did. I'm supposed to do what Jesus did. Jesus is expecting me to do what he did. There's no exemptions for that. He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. And the word greater here, there's two Greek words for greater. One is megalosia, which means bigger and better. And then another one that means like more over time or more with age. And that's the one he used here. He just expects because he's leaving, he's going to the Father. His time up down here was really, really short. And he's got all these young disciples. And he expected them to have more time to do more of the, the works. No one has done bigger or better miracles than Jesus. No one. Uh, that's a fact. They've done some different kinds of things, but not necessarily bigger and better. So then he's, so, so he, he expected his ministry 
to continue through you and through me. So then he says in verse 13, And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. I remember teaching this at a Christian school one time. We had a bunch of students there, and, and I, I mentioned this verse. And the teacher came up to me afterwards, was a little red-faced, and said, you can't teach that. I said, why? Well, the kids might, they might think that they can ask for anything. I said, but it's in red. And they said, you can't, you can't teach that. I said, why? explain this to me. And they said, well, what if they ask for a million dollars? Or what if they ask for a stretch limo? And I said, well, part of the problem is, is the, 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 the thing hinges on in my name. And so to ask something in the name of Jesus isn't saying the phrase in the name of Jesus. It's... It's being in his person, being in his character. It's praying what Jesus would pray for the reasons Jesus would pray it, even how he would pray it. So to be in his name is not just, uh, he's not saying, just at the end of your prayer, tack on uh, the phrase, in the name of Jesus, and that prayer will sail through. It's like the Father's listening and someone's praying, and they forgot to say, in the name of Jesus, he said, uh, cancel that one. We're not going to do, we're not going to, that was a good prayer, but I can't answer it because they didn't. It's like, it's like the post office getting a, a letter and someone forgot to put the stamp on it. And because they forgot to put the stamp on it, it doesn't go anywhere. That's not what Jesus is saying here. What he's saying is, is, is so profound. It's like him giving you the biggest credit card you could ever imagine. He said, if you stand before the Father and you ask what I would ask for, the way I would ask for it, for the reasons I would ask for it, it's no different than if I was asking. So when you ask in my name, I will do it because it's me. It's me. You're using my authority. You're using my character. You're standing in my person. The Father hears me praying, save them, help them, deliver them, work, do this, do that. And he says, that's my son. That's, that's my son praying. But when he looks down, it's you. But because you're asking the way Jesus would ask. I remember one, you know, they would lay hands on people at conferences. I remember one guy, got, he got a little excited. He said, I'm anointed all over, not just my hands. I'm not going to just lay hands on. Even my feet are anointed. And he started kicking people with his foot. I couldn't picture Jesus doing that. He's not in the name of Jesus. Benny Hinn would take his coat and he would kind of hit people with his coat or throw air balls at his coat and they would fall back and then the, the catcher would step, uh, pull him back up again and he would do it again. They would fall down again and he would do it again. The audience would throw with laughter. But I could never imagine Jesus doing that. 
So some of Benny's brothers, uh, Dudley Hall and uh, James Robeson, they sat down with Benny and they said, you can't do that anymore. You have to stop doing that. That's so unbecoming. That's not in the character of Jesus. Jesus wouldn't play with people with his power like that. Jesus wouldn't do that. You're not in the name of Jesus when you're doing that. And so Benny, to his credit, stopped doing that. So what Jesus is saying here is so powerful. He said you can, even the youngest believer, the newest believer, even a Penn Clark who's just starting out and doesn't know anything at all, could have authority with God in the name of Jesus. And the demons, listen now, the demons would have to respond to me as if it was Jesus. For them to disobey me, they would have to disobey Jesus, which is impossible. And when you read the four Gospels, you just see that the moment he told them to shut up or to leave or any of that, they had to obey. I mean, there's that whole rebellious side of them where there's that reluctance, but they obeyed everything. That's what, that's what the people marveled at. They said that even the demons obey us in your name. So it's, it's not you that they're concerned about. It's, it's they don't want you to stand in his person. Something happens that we can't see in the spirit. I don't know how it works. But all of a sudden, they don't just see you. They see Jesus. Well, Graham, my brother-in-law, and I uh, knew a group of wild Christians. They didn't go to church. They were hanging out in downtown. They were... They, had, they didn't believe in going to church. They didn't believe in being under any authority. And, and they were wild. They had all gotten saved. They were like street people had gotten saved. And, um, and they were having communion with real booze and uh, praying each other's tattoos away and all kinds of stuff uh, just because they were just so full of zeal and, and uh, not much wisdom on some parts of it. And so, but they, they found people who needed deliverance. And they found this one guy. Uh, who had become a Christian but had gone out and had slept with a prostitute. And ever since he slept with a prostitute, his whole character changed. Something changed within him where he became aggressive towards the young girls in the group. And uh, they realized it was a demon. So they called Graham and they said, we, we got a demon. And this guy, he's, he's met the Lord, but something's happened. He's different. And uh, we need you to pray for him. So Graham called me and he said, Let's meet together, we'll, 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 uh, we'll deal with this. And well, the Lord had said on that tape that we're going to learn together on how to deal with demons, and so we became Batman and Robin. And, and uh, the night before we prayed for this guy, my brother-in-law, Graham, met him to talk with him. And he said, it was just a guy. He's in the passenger seat of his car. He's just a guy, and all of a sudden, everything in the car changed. And this other voice came out of him, a very deep, old, ancient voice, and said, have you ever cast out a demon before? And my brother-in-law said, yes. He's, but you won't cast me out. And this awful, hideous voice, this laughter came out, and the car started bouncing in the driveway and started bouncing up and down 
and all the neighbors could hear the shocks squeaking, the, the car th being thrashed by this power in the driveway. And Graham was in the car, and he was shook up. He realized this is, this is a real one. This isn't uh, something that you just pray, you know, um, once and it goes away. This, this is an ancient being. He said, I've not cast out demons like this before, but I will cast you out in the name of Jesus, and the whole thing settled down. Well, the next day, I met with this guy and met with Graham, and it turned into one of the most amazing experiences of my life. Uh, the guy came in. A few other people were with us to pray, and um, I asked him to, to lay down. I'm not sure why I did that. But I, I asked him to lay down, and, and he lashed out at me and, and came at me to attack me and had picked up a chair, one of these steel-legged chairs, to hit me over the head with it. And he came across the room with the chair in his, in his hands, and I said, no, in the name of Jesus. And he fell back and slid across the floor with the most pained look on his face, like he had just seen something so huge, something so awesome, but he was terrified. And I'm standing there thinking, <laughs> you know, like, little old me, I, I, there's no way that I could have had that effect. But when I said, in the name of Jesus, something happened where he must have saw Jesus in me, and he reacted like he was absolutely terrified. And, and all through the night, whatever we told it, it had to do, and there are, there are so many demons in this guy, one after the other come out. But every time they tried to talk or laugh or taunt us, we would speak to them and tell them what they could do and what they couldn't do, and they obeyed every single time. And it was a tremendous revelation to see that we were, we were in, in Jesus. There's this moment where the last, the last demon were having a really hard time getting it to leave, and I pulled back from the group, and they were praying. And I pulled back and said, Jesus, what are we doing wrong? And he says, you have to believe. You have to believe. And I realized there's an element of faith in this where, where it's not just saying the words. It's me believing that it has to obey. It has to obey. There's no option. And so I stepped back in the circle, and I said, out now in the name of Jesus. And that thing was gone. And the man collapsed and wiped off the foam off his mouth and stood up. And there's the moment, one of the great moments in the whole thing was, because this went on for like three hours. And it was so violent, so awful. So The swearing was so awful. But now this guy's standing there. He's, he's shaking, and we can tell that he's back. He's normal. It's him. And... I didn't know what to do, and, and I just went up, and I, I hugged him. And I thought, the, the demons could just crush me so quickly. There was just superhuman strength. But it was a real statement of, of faith for me just to go and hug him. In fact, the next night, he came to our house. We had dinner together. We invited him to our home, and I got a little toddler there. And I hear I'm bringing this guy into my house, but I, I just had to believe that he was totally set free, that, that, that in the name of Jesus actually worked. And uh, I don't tell that story often, and there's, I, I, could, I could tell ten times as much as what we learned that night, what we happened, what we saw happen. 
The part I want you to leave with, the part I want you to take away, is that demon didn't see me or us. He saw Jesus, and he reacted as if it was Jesus. Well, that changed, that changed everything. So I would hear a story of someone who was about to commit suicide or someone who was struggling in a certain area. And so in prayer, I would step up, and, and even though they were on the other side of the country or in another city, uh, I knew that there was no distance. And so I would pray, but I, I couldn't just pray off the top of my head. I had to step back and say, Jesus, pray through me. Jesus, I, 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 want, I want to pray in your name, which meant I had to change how I thought. I had to change how, how I approached this whole thing. And I would step up and I would say, I forbid you to touch this person for another minute. Take your hands off this person. And I would pray, not just using the phrase in the name of Jesus, but I became, in my heart, the person of Jesus. I was praying what Jesus would pray. He would say, stop. I forbid this. Desist in the name of Jesus. And it had to obey. And for 40 some years now, since those early days of learning the power of, of what Jesus is saying in John 14, 13, 14, is I have authority that's been given to me that God doesn't exercise on his own, that he exercises it through us. It's like we've been given something and it's saying, like, you deal with the devil. And listen now, this is really important. If we don't deal with the devil, nobody will. Angels can't. God won't. Jesus can't. It's not that he doesn't want to, but he's given that authority to us. And now we have not just authority, but the right and the responsibility to use that name as if it was Jesus. And it's been such a game changer. I can't tell you how many times I've been so grateful to know this, that, that you have authority, that we have authority, that if we hear something going on, we hear something that, that's affecting people, for us to pray is no different than it was Jesus praying. It's a game changer. Let's, let's look at another one. Let's go to John 15, 16. Just turn the page. John 15, 16. Jesus said, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. And whatever, whatsoever, I'm King James. Uh, I've memorized this in King James. And whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. And then he says, these things I command you that you love one another. Whatever you ask the Father in my name. There's another place where Jesus says, I'm not asking, I'm not going to be asking the Father for you. You can go to the Father. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will do it. He will give it to you. That's a powerful, powerful promise. Whatever, whatsoever. When the kids would say, uh, the teacher said, well, what if the kids asked for a stretch limousine? Well, Jesus wouldn't ask for a stretch limousine. He never even rode a stretch donkey. I mean, he walked everywhere. I mean, that's not his name. What if they asked for a million dollars or a winning lottery ticket? Well, that's not the heart of Jesus. That's not, 
That's not who he is. So it's not going to happen. The prayer is not going to be answered. They could ask it until they're blue in the face. But it's not, it's not who Jesus is. He says, you can go to the Father in the name of Jesus, and the Father will give you whatever you're asking for. That's tremendous authority. We have authority with God. This authority with God can be greatly reduced if we go off into porn, we go off into living in darkness, walking, walking in a way that Jesus wouldn't walk. Then, then you have no authority with God. Even though it's been given to us, it's somehow forfeited because of the darkness that we're walking in. So it's important that we live right. What's interesting about this, there's no verse, including this one, there's no verse anywhere that talks about praying to the Holy Spirit. And it's kind of a trend. I see it more and more these days. I, I, I hear young people praying to the Holy Spirit. And I even I remember hearing a prophecy that says that the Holy Spirit's sad. He feels left out. Everyone's worshiping Jesus and no one's worshiping him. I doubt that's the Holy Spirit speaking. Because the Holy Spirit, all he thinks about is Jesus. He wants Jesus magnified. The point is, is uh, there's no verse that says we should pray to the Holy Spirit for anything. We pray to the Father. He decides the Holy Spirit is the power of God in the earth, and, and he, he releases that power the moment that you say what you say in the name of Jesus. Power happens. Uh, I, I, if you hang around, hang around with me at all, you, you'll never hear me pray to the Holy Spirit. You just won't hear me pray along those lines. I just don't think that way. I pray to my Father because there's verse after verse that says that's what Jesus did and that's what Jesus wants us to do. Now, John Wimber had a revelation. The Lord showed him one time that he was to, and he did this out of obedience where he'd say, Holy Spirit, come, or Spirit, come, and the Holy Spirit would come. He did that many, many times, and there are people who replicate that. But he had a, he had a, uh, he was stepping out in something that that he became like a Moses who had a rod in his hand where he would he was part of a process and I think that's real I think that's valid but I don't talk to the Holy Spirit I don't pray to the Holy Spirit I don't ask the Holy Spirit anything it's Jesus 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 and it's all about my Father that's what Jesus did and that's what we should do because we should be three. He says, and in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until you've asked nothing in my name, ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. What a tremendous, um, tremendous promise this is and a real insight. Now, my fellowship, I have fellowship with Jesus. I talk to him. I'll say, Jesus, what about this? What about that? I don't think he says, ah, those prayers are all supposed to be directed to the Father. I'm not going to answer them. He just answers them. But technically, the way we're supposed to pray is we pray to the Father in the name of Jesus, and the Father responds as if Jesus was praying. And that's what he's saying here. Let's do one more. Let's go to John 16. Verses 26 and 27. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father loves himself loves you because you have loved me 
and have believed that I've come forth from God. I come forth from the Father, and I've come into the world, and again I leave the world and go to the Father. So this is another setup, same kind of thing. Jesus is saying it's, it's, uh, you, don't, you don't need to go to Mary. You don't need to go to any kind of mediator. Uh, it, it doesn't work that way. You have authority with the Father. The Father wants to hear you ask. And this is a tremendous encouragement. He says, come on, ask. Ask. Ask that your joy may be full. Ask that you may receive. Ask and see how this works. Ask and see how wonderful this is. So all of us have friends who are getting in trouble. We have people we love who get in trouble. And, and you say, I wish somebody would do something. I wish somebody would step up and do something. Well, that someone is you. That's you in the name of Jesus. That's you praying with the Father, uh, what Jesus would pray. And the Father will respond to you as if Jesus was praying. But it's you. You're the one who can step up and do something about this. I remember a young gal, she was a Baptist gal, and didn't know anything about this, didn't know that you had authority, that on the other side of the planet you can tell a, a demon where to get off, and it has to obey, it has to obey. She didn't know any of that at all, never heard any of this teaching uh, that we're giving you. And she was entrusted uh, with her position, her job. She was entrusted with a little boy who was a terror. He swore. He was so violent. No teacher wanted him in the classroom. He hurt everybody. He hurt the teachers. He swore like a house on fire. He was just a little, little terrible little kid. And, um, and so teacher after teacher said, we don't want him in the classroom. We, we can't deal with this. And so it came to this, this young Christian gal to, to have to kind of babysit him and she called me. She said, what do I do? He's like a, a little monster, like that, you know, Taz, just a, just a whirlwind of terror. And I said, I said, you have authority in the name of Jesus. And I taught her something of what I just said to you. And I said, what I want you to do is, is just touch him. Put your hand on, on his back or, or take him by the hand or put your hand on his head if he'll let you. Just when you're with him and you're, you know, sitting at the piano and you're, you're with him, just don't make a big deal about it. Just simply put the, your hand on the back and say as, as nicely as you would say, wow, what a nice sunny day. What a beautiful sunny day it is. In the same way, say, you foul spirit, you have no more authority in this boy's life. I break off your power now. I command you to leave in the name of Jesus. I said, just do it as if you're saying, what a nice boy you are. Do you want Oreos and milk after we're done? Don't make a big, don't become so Pentecostal about it. You don't have to shout. You have to, but I said, you, now listen now, you have to believe. You have to believe that it must obey. To disobey you would be to disobey Jesus, and that's impossible. You have to believe this. You can't just say it. It's a miracle. What's going to happen is a miracle. Miracles require faith. So I said, just when you're sitting with him, if you have to do it over several days or whatever, just keep doing it. Just every now and again, or if he's sleeping, he has a little nap, just put your foot, hand on his little foot and say, in the name of Jesus, you follow spirit that's terrorized in this boy's life. I command you to leave in the name of Jesus. Just say it. Touch him 
and say it. There's something powerful. Uh, we see Jesus laying hands on people, and there's something powerful in that. She did it. And she called me, and she said, it worked. He's just become normal. Like all the swearing, all the violence has stopped. He's back to school. He, she said, the only thing that's crazy is his dad came in, and his dad swore just like him. It was so angry and so violent. It was so living. said, what did you do to my son? He could tell that he had, had been changed. Well, what had changed he hadn't been disciplined in any way. All those things would still be, be needed. But he was neutralized from an enemy using him like a yo-yo, playing with him. You have authority. Somebody has to do this. Somebody has to deal with the devil. And that's on you. And you've been given the same authority that I have. Where, where people might have more authority is the more you do it, it seems like you're your authority increases. The demons know it. That's why the demons said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but I don't know you. They didn't have moral authority. They didn't have personal authority, but they knew Paul. Well, the reason they knew Paul is Paul was kicking butt. Paul was dealing with demons. He was dealing with demons, and, and they knew, well, okay, we know Paul. We know Jesus, and we know Paul, but we don't know you. So there is somehow a personal authority attached to this that comes with living in a certain way, and also uh, using the authority we've been given often. Let's end with this verse. Let's go to James chapter 4, verse 7. James chapter 4, verse 7. We have a couple minutes left. And this, this um, pulls together everything I just said in that last statement. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. That's the whole part where your moral authority and, and, and your... Um, your relationship with God is key to this whole thing. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He doesn't say anywhere in here, I'll resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. He says, you resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The devil will flee because he knows you have authority with God. Resist the devil. Somebody has to say no. If you look up the resi word resist here, it's somebody has to stand against them. Somebody has to step up and say no more. No more. When I hear a case of, of someone uh, trying to kill their life, uh, take away their own life, the human will, the human will to live is so powerful. I remember reading about a, a hiker who was out out in the, in the wilderness, out somewhere in, in uh, western, uh, the western states. And he was hiking. He slid down in between some boulders. His arm got caught. And he, no one knew where he was. And if he stayed there, he would die. He'd starve to death. Didn't have water. So he took out his pen knife and he cut off his own arm. That was in the news. And I remember thinking, that's the will to live. We're, we, we feel that. It's like a, a fox in a trap will actually gnaw off its own leg to get out of the trap. We have such a profound will to live. So when you hear of someone who doesn't have a will to live and they actually want to kill themselves, it, there's an element that's involved that's not human. There's an outside pressure. There's another voice. There's another pressure 
that's trying to make them do something that they would naturally never do. So when I hear stories like that, even if I don't know the person, I just step up and, I've, and I'll just address that. I'll take a moment, collect myself, and, and, and put myself in that frame of mind that this is Jesus now. This is Jesus speaking. I get myself thinking of my being in his name, and I just, I just forbid it. I forbid it. You will not take this boy's life. You'll not take this person's life. I forbid it in the name of Jesus. And I deal with it. The whole thing is over in five minutes, and I go about back to my peace. I just believe we have authority to do that, don't you? Somebody has to do it. Somebody has to deal with the devil. And that's you. Amen? Now, <laughs> what I've been teaching in a nutshell is I wrote out in this book called In the Name of Jesus because many people are still treating it as a postage stamp. Now, if you listen to me pray at home, if you came uh, at 3 o'clock in the morning on my deck and I'm praying or uh, I'm, my head's buried in the corner of the couch somewhere, you hardly hear me pray in the name of Jesus at the end of my prayers. I just don't do that because I'm in his name. It's an attitude. I just, I just pray as if I'm Jesus. And so I don't end my prayers by saying in the name of Jesus all the time when I'm in private. In public, if I don't end the prayer by saying in the name of Jesus, people are kind of waiting for the prayer to end. It's, it's the way we close a prayer. We have to say that phrase. Otherwise, well, that prayer, that prayer was, wasn't finished. And I know people think that way. So in, publicly, in public, I'll often use that phrase. In private, I hardly ever do. Uh, unless it's in, a, in an example like I just gave where I'm telling a demon where to get off. There's a powerful little book about in the name of Jesus and what we've been given. And so if you're interested in it, there's some out in the foyer. Let's stand together. We're going to keep in this line in part because I want our church to be a counseling center. We're going to open our doors at some point in time when the Lord leads us in inviting the public in. The public's going to have all kinds of issues, health issues, emotional issues, spiritual issues. Uh, some are going to be uh, pawns in the hands of demons, and you're going to have to step up and tell them when. To, you're going to have to know when to do that. So there's some training, I think, that we all need, and so that's, that's where I'm going to go with this thing. And um, we'll see how God leads us. But I want us to be equipped and prepared to deal with people on in the in the in our village let's let's give thanks to the lord why don't you pray say thank you father for giving me the name of jesus what a rich blessing the greatest thing that could ever be given to anybody is the authority that you gave jesus You've given to me. And you did this because you love me. And I, and I have set my love upon you. And you love me the same way you love Jesus. Father, thank you. It's overwhelming. I can't quite get my head around it. But your word says it's true. Lord, give us opportunities in this 
this next week or two to see how powerful your name is and to set people free, to go after things in prayer that otherwise would just ruin someone's life. Show us how that you may be glorified and that I would be fruitful and my fruit would remain. I want to live this way. I want to honor you. I want to be a powerful Christian for you. I want to make a difference everywhere I go. And Father, I'm asking this in the name of Jesus. Thank you for hearing me. Thank you for answering my prayer. Thank you that it's a done deal. Amen? Amen?